You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. You guys, too much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start coming here more often. Uh, welcome to you all. I um, saw the set list that Danielle had prepared for worship this morning, and I actually changed my message to fit that. Um, and it just it felt so right. And a couple other things that happened through the course of the week that have led me to where uh, we're going to be. But we're going to be talking about the goodness of God today. So he's, he's way better than we think he is. And to whatever degree you think God is good, any place that you don't think that he's good, you better start lining up with him. You better start lining up with him. I'm discovering that in my own life. So when we don't have the goodness of God as our core theology, we end up with really weird theology. We read the scripture through the lens of our own understanding, absence of the goodness of God, and we can turn it into anything. We can make God out to be the most maniacal, vindictive person. And he's not. He's really not. His heart has always been for mankind. So I want to talk a little bit more about that today. So if you're interested, Wednesday night, 6.30, we come together, have a little worship, and we start digging into that stuff a little bit more. So we're going to talk about curses. We're going to talk about judgments. We're talking about all those kinds of things that we kind of take for granted and really want to dig in and find out what the Word says. I really do believe the best way to interpret the Scripture is with Scripture. Not to proof text, not to take one passage of Scripture and build an entire theology on it, only to find that later on there's plenty of other passages that say the exact opposite of that. So that's what we're digging into, and hopefully it'll be energizing and rejuvenating for you as you come in and, and be a part of that. So today, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 67. Just hold your finger in there. This theme of the goodness of God is really one of our core values of who we are as a church. And we say that not because we think we have a handle on it. We say that because we know that as we've discovered the goodness of God, it leads us into wonderful revelation. It leads us into an understanding that God is not just able to heal. He's willing to heal. Right? I mean, these are little things, but they're big deals. Have you ever heard somebody pray and say, God, if it's your will, let them be healed? Healed? That's so unfortunate because the word already, reve- already reveals that he's willing, right? Somebody, can I get an amen in here? Amen. He's willing, right? He's already willing. What he's looking for is a partnership, a cooperation with his bride, with his church to simply enter into it and trust that he's got this thing. He understands it. He knows what's going on. He's got all authority in heaven and earth. All of that is invested in him, and he's chosen to give it to us so that we can walk in it. And it's a big difference for us to walk around and say, God, if you're willing, please heal Mindy. There's a big difference in saying that than in saying, God, I know you're willing, so heal Mindy. You see the difference? One of them reduces what should be declarations down to petitions. Hello? If we don't have a good understanding of the goodness of God, it will reduce declarations down to petitions. Instead of saying, God, do this, we say, God, will you do this? It puts us in a place of passivity. It puts us in a place of 
disengagement with God. And I don't know about you, but has anybody in here ever prayed for someone like that and seen them get healed? What, four or five people? Come on, we've got more than that. Has anybody ever here prayed for somebody and seen them get healed on the spot? Yeah, well, that's, that should change our thoughts right there, that this is what God does. What we tend to do is we tend to see something like that happen. We tend to see a miracle happen, and then we think, oh, wow, I wonder why that happened. I wonder why God did it this way. And then we start trying to build our own theologies instead of just simply saying, God heals. God heals. This helped me a lot, guys. Way back in 08, when I started to see this shifting in my own life, it got, it's gotten to the point now where I don't even care when I pray for people about the results. I do. Don't misunderstand me. I care about the results and that I want to see people get healed, but if they don't get healed, I don't take that personally. I've settled the issue in my heart. I've settled it. God heals. And if people don't get healed, I'm not going to build a theology on why they don't get healed. I refuse to do that. All I know is every time I pray for someone and they get healed, it's like I got a big boulder I'm pushing and it started to move just a little bit. And then I go for the next person and I push it just a little bit more and a little bit more. Next thing you know, it gets a little easier because the thing gets rolling. Are you with me? The hardest part is just getting started. Most people don't want to even pray for healing for the sick because they're afraid if they don't get healed, what are they going to look like? God is good. He's way better than we think. He's way better than we think. I could stand here and tell you testimony after testimony of people getting healed of crazy, crazy kinds of stuff, on-the-spot kind of things. But what that did for me was not send me into a, a process of trying to figure out when and where and why God heals. It just, I just settled the issue and decided God heals. God heals people. God heals. That's not the only thing he does. He does a lot of things. In the word, Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone, right? 1 Peter 2.6. The entire building is wrapped around the cornerstone. Does anybody in here, builders, got a history in building? I do. I was a general contractor for years. I understand that in the building, when you're building something, that the foundation that you lay is the single most important thing that happens in any building project. The single most important thing. I discovered this in a number of different ways. Number one, I started a while back. I did a building project that was kind of a rehab start-over project, and the foundation was already there. And I came in to tear down some walls and start doing some rebuilding. Only to discover that the building was not much larger than this room we're in, but from that corner to that corner, the elevation was off by three inches. It's terrible. By the time we got to the roof, it had exponentially amplified itself. Every time you start building on something that's a little bit off, it exponentially gets larger and larger. By the time we got to do the roof, we had so much repair work that we had to take care of. We had to deal with it because the foundation was already there. I'm just simply saying the foundation is the single most important piece of any kind of construction. I think it's interesting that Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone. Did you know the cornerstone is the piece of block they would put in at the corner of the building? It would determine the lines going perpendicular to each other and the lines going up. So it had three axes, three different directions. And if that thing was not set perfectly square and perfectly level, everything would exponentially go off from that point. Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. How about we build our theologies based on him? Let's build our theologies based on Jesus. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact representation of the Father. 
exact representation of the Father. Bill Johnson says of Jesus, he is perfect theology. If you can't find it in Jesus, you have reason to question it. I think that's really good. That is really good. The reality is, we, how many have been in church a long time? Yeah. Oh, hold your hands up for a minute. You've been in church a long time. Better part of your life you've been in church. Okay, almost everybody in this room. Here's the sad thing. I'm with you on this. Here's the sad thing about it. We hear things or read things, and we don't ever take them back to the Scripture to really question them. And so we buy into them as if they're hard and fast. God gives and takes away. Well, that's in Scripture, isn't it? It is. God gives and he takes away. It's in Scripture. Anybody know where it is in Scripture? Yeah? Anybody know anything about Job? Job was a frustrated old man. He was a frustrated man. He, he would question everything. Just because Job says it doesn't mean it's biblically accurate. According to God. You know what I'm saying. It's biblically accurate in the sense that it's in the Bible. What I'm saying is it's not accurate in in its sense of the description of God's character and nature. He said, God, you give and take away. What is he saying? He's saying that because that is his understanding. That is what he sees concerning God. He has all this stuff. You guys know the story of Job. Satan comes along, bam, just wreaks havoc on him. says, God, you give, God, you take away. It sounds really good, but it really is not God. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, right? It comes from him, who does not change. Who does not change like shifting shadows. He's not a God that's in a good mood one minute and in a bad mood another minute. Come on, somebody say, really, say amen to that. That's good, isn't it? Aren't you glad that he's not a fickle dad? That every time you come to him, he's actually in a good mood. He's actually in a good mood. The only thing that makes God angry, do you think God gets angry? I think he does. I think the only thing that makes him angry, though, is when he sees his kids getting caught up in something that they shouldn't be in, and he's not angry at the kids. He's angry at the very thing that's tripping them up. How many here have kids? I have kids. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to see them do things that they shouldn't be doing, and I know what it's like as a failed parent to slip into correcting them because I want them to perform or correcting them because I know what's good for them because I know what's best for their heart. You know what I'm saying, right? There are times when I want to correct my kids just simply out of my own anger and frustration. Fortunately, God's not like that. Let's don't take those fallen attributes of all of us in our humanity and put those on God. That's how we see him sometimes. Come on, somebody say amen to that. How many of you have experienced that yourself? If you were to be honest, you would say, yeah, my understanding of God is what I experienced through my own dad. It's unfortunate. All dads are failed. All of us have problems. For the longest time, because of my experience growing up, I saw God not as a heavenly loving father. I saw him as a benevolent uncle. He's a good guy, but you just don't talk to him very much. He'll give you gifts every now and then for your birthday, but you just don't. You know, just don't talk to him very much. I'm just starting to discover, I think he's so good. He's so good. And every encounter that I've had with him, it's drawn me into a deeper understanding. And I still don't fully get it, but it's drawn me into a deeper understanding that I can, I can come to him and actually be okay. I'm going to be okay. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? How many of you want to know you can talk to the Father and you're actually going to be okay? That he's not going to beat you up. He's not going to berate you. He's not going to demean you. He's not going to shame you. Oh, yeah. 
Jesus is the chief cornerstone. I think we need to build all of our theology off of him. Everything should come from this one place. And I believe the goodness of God is one of these cornerstones. Remember when Moses said, God, I want to see your glory? Do you remember that? God, show me your glory. What a profound statement. We have songs written about it. Show me your glory. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. And God said, well, you know, tell you what I'll do. Stick you in a rock over here, and I'm going to pass by you, and you're going to see all my goodness. Isn't that something? Here's Moses, who was connecting with God, wanted to see the glory of God, but yet God passes him and said, I'm going to let you see all my goodness. Why? That's what he needed. We can see glory. I believe if we really saw glory for what it was, (laughs) worship would be involuntary. (laughs) It would be. It would be involuntary. If the glory of God were to fill this room in all of its fullness, Worship would be involuntary. People would be doing things in here that you never thought you would be doing. Have you ever thought for a minute, I'm going to throw in a parenthetical reference. Have you ever thought for a moment, why is it that sometimes you can go into certain places and worship is absolutely off the charts and makes you fall on your face and you just encounter God like crazy? Other times you go in and it's not like that? You ever wondered that? I believe it's because there's something about the choice that we make. Because if worship were always like it, no matter where you went, no matter what worship team was playing, no matter what was happening, if you went there and the worship was just like, (gasps) and you could, and a cloud would show up in the room and all that stuff would happen, worship would be so involuntary. And I just don't think God wants that. Not because he needs it. God doesn't need worship. He wants us to worship because it changes us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that a little bit. That's really good. Think about this. Worship is not for God. It's for you. It's for me. It changes us. There's something about bringing what Hebrews calls the sacrifice of praise. If there's no real praise in it, then maybe there's no sacrifice in it. One thing we discovered, at least throughout the Old Covenant, was whenever a sacrifice was offered, fire would fall on it, right? It would burn. So you have to ask the question, if we're coming in and I'm giving praise and sacrifice to God and there's no fire falling on me, maybe I ought to shift my sacrifice a little bit. Maybe I ought to change what I'm sacrificing. Hello? (laughs) I'm not interested in people jumping up and down and raising their hands and doing all that. If you do that, that's fine. People can fall on the floor, flop around, cluck like a chicken. I don't care. I really don't. You can do whatever you want. What I'm real, I know what I'm interested in, though, is not the external expression. I'm interested in this thing, what happens in the heart. But when something happens in the heart, there will be a physical manifestation of it. There will be. I don't know. There's something with that. He deserves it. It's not like he doesn't. But when we give it to him, it changes us inside. What's really important about that church is when we change on the inside, we get a different view of who he is. And I don't know about you, where I am in life, I still need greater, greater shifting in my understanding of who God is. I've gleaned some things, I've learned some things, but it needs to go even further. I've told you in here before, I'm still a pretty scared man. I still notice in my life, and I'm being honest, I still notice that a lot of the decisions I make in life are not out of love, they're out of fear. And I want them to be out of love. 
I don't want them to be out of self-protection. I don't want them to be out of fear of man. I want them to be out of love. So I need a greater understanding of the goodness of God. Please hear me. I don't want to perform and try to love people. I want to love people because God's love is inside of me. We've got enough of that religious nonsense going off on in the church, that mumbo-jumbo, whatever, I love you, I love you. I, I'm, I'm interested in love being demonstrated. I want to be that. Not that I'm looking out. I'm starting right here. I'm just recognizing there's a lot of fear inside of me, and I don't want fear to move me towards anything. Fear is a powerful motivator, but it never motiv- motivates you to anything good. It's always selfishness. Has anybody in here ever gotten really scared before by something? Like really, really scared. What's the first thing you do? Scream, yeah? I was going to say, well, I kind of wet my pants sometimes if I'm that scared, but... Seriously, what do we do? What happens to our world and our worldview? What's the first thing that happens? It gets very small, doesn't it? We can't see beyond our own six square feet. We can't see anything. We can't see the people we love. We can't see anything around us. We can't even see God when we get in fear. I'm just saying, let's talk about fear for what it is. It's, not, it's never been your friend. It never has been your friend. How about you treat fear like you would treat that friend who keeps betraying you all the time? Let's treat fear that way. You ever had a friend that betrays you all the time? Well, after a few times, you say, okay, you get to live on that outer circle, not my inner circle. You live further out now. I still love you, but you're not getting a piece of me, right? Let's start treating fear like that. I think it's fear that keeps us from really understanding what the goodness of God is. It becomes a lens we see life through, and we don't even know we're looking through that lens anymore. We don't even know it's there. Holy Spirit's good though, right? Because God is good. How about we trust him? Trust him to even show those things to us and say, Holy Spirit, show me where I'm living in fear. Ask, ask yourself this question if you're married. Holy Spirit, show me where I'm living in fear with my spouse. And trust that he's going to bring it up when you start to talk to him. He'll bring it up. Nobody likes that homework. Okay. Okay. <laughs> everything we do, everything we are, hopefully springs from this heartbeat of God that he's good. How many want to see the kingdom advanced in the earth? Yep. How many want to see your loved ones, extended family, come to know Jesus and encounter him? Yep. Come on. Man, I felt something on that. Raise your hand again. Raise your hand. If you... Yeah, if you've got extended family or family members that you want to come to know Jesus and have an encounter with him, not say a prayer, let me see your hand. All right, right now we're going to declare this. I feel this level of faith just went up in the room. I feel this, that we're going to declare right now that people who don't have never had that encounter with Jesus are going to encounter him. Lord, not because they went to a church service, but because you showed up right in the middle of their room, right when they were driving down the road, wherever they are, they encounter you and say, I can't escape you. You're right here. You're real. You're real. Can we say amen to that? Yes. Come on, man. That's good. That's the kind of goodness of God I'm talking about. Have you ever heard testimonies of people who found God that did not find him in a church or in a meeting? Isn't that awesome? We had a ministry out of our church in Nashville called Dreams and Visions. It was an Iraqi woman who uh, was Muslim and grew up Muslim her whole life and had a vision of Jesus Christ talking to her. 
and telling her who he was. Come on, man. I mean, that'll preach better than any sermon right there. It totally changed her life. She started a ministry called Dreams and Visions, and it was for Iraqi women. It was such a unique thing. In Nashville, we had a large population of Kurdish people and nearly impossible to reach with the gospel, so it took someone that was in the camp with them. And here she is. So we would give our church to them on Thursdays, and I wouldn't even be in the building because it was, I mean, the whole, what is it, the burqa hole? The whole nine yards. There, the, these, these women would come to this building to learn English, but were getting Jesus. And multiple of them would come back later on and say, I had, a, I had a vision, I had a dream about Jesus. This Jesus guy showed up, he started talking to me. Isn't that awesome? Come on, God's good. I just really do believe somehow that God understands a whole lot more than I can understand in my brain and that somehow he's even going to reveal himself even if we don't use this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light of this. I'm just simply saying don't restrict him. This thing doesn't contain God. It reveals him. It reveals him. The minute we say that this contains God, we've got to focus just like this. That's all we can see. Listen, I lived like that for years and when God finally showed up, and wrecked my world in 08, totally wrecked my world, I had a choice to make right then. I could sit there and argue with God and say, I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. I could have, I, seriously, I remember, I remember the point. I remember being at that crisis moment. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you, it's not, no longer can you ride the fence. You have to make a choice. And I had to make the choice, and it was, God, am I going to believe you, even though I don't see that in the word right here? Am I going to believe that you're good? Am, gonna, am I going to believe that you have hope for me, a future for me? Am I really going to believe that beyond all, all that I can understand? Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. God is good. Yeah. He does not have plans to hurt you. How many in here have suffered with depression? See your hand. Come on, we're being honest here. Good. A lot of people around. Me too. Let me tell you how good God is. He never said to you, get over it. Find that in Scripture. Get over it. Come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, get up. It's not in there, is it? As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of that. That's how good he is. He says, I'm so good, I'm going to come find you right in the middle of it. Now, what does that mean for all of us who have had to deal with depression before? That means when we're right in the middle of it, we have to stop and go, wait, God, you're good. God, you're good. Why do we need to do that? To make him be good? No, because he's already good. It's letting our minds start lining up with the reality of who he really is. Come on, you hear me? How many of you in here, whenever something goes really wrong in life and it's painful, whether it be finances, kids, jobs, uh, whatever the case may be, the first thing you do is you jump into praise. Come on, I'm not quite there yet. It's a wonderful thing, though. You talk about sh- the circumstances never change, but all of a sudden you begin to rise above it, and you can see them completely different. It's like, what? I was scared of that dumb thing. Look how small that is. Woo-hoo! God, you're good. God, you're good. Hold your hands out with me right here and just say, God, you're good. God, you're better than I think. And when things go wrong, I'm going to say you're good. And I'm going to look up and say, God, you're good. good. Then I'm going to look down and see the problem 
think, man, that ain't so bad. <laughs> Come on, is that good? A little exercise right there. <laughs> oh, Romans 2. It's a beautiful passage. Romans, the entire book, is the best doctrinal book that we have. Wonderful book. And again, don't even build your theologies out of one chapter on this, okay? Read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. In Romans chapter 2, we, we see Paul talking. He's already talked about how we've all like just been this crazy group of people that just don't want to acknowledge God. We don't want to acknowledge the Creator. We acknowledge creation, but not the Creator. And then he goes on to say in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, don't you understand that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Now, I just asked for hands a few moments ago to see how many people had grown up in church or been around church. I'm going to ask this question now. How many of you experienced church at some degree where it was about you need to stop doing bad things and start doing good things? You need to stop sinning and start living holy, right? How many of you found out that worked well? It doesn't. It doesn't work at all. I grew up in the church. I've told you this before. I had almost the entire book of Romans memorized, almost the entire book of Ephesians, a large part of the Psalms memorized. It never helped me one bit. Because I didn't need to put this in my head to stop sinning. I needed to encounter the goodness of God. And when I encountered the goodness of God, all of a sudden, all that other stuff that I was doing, the sinning stuff that I kept running to the altar every week for, crying out to God, saying, God, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't like my life. I hate this. I hate this sin. I hate living like this. All that stuff stopped because I had an encounter with the goodness of God. And it stopped after I had the encounter. Because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not man. It's not man's willpower. Charles Spurgeon, you guys know who he is? Bit of a theologian. He said, Free will has carried many a soul to hell, but never a soul to heaven. There's only one person that can do that. There's only one person that can do that. Why am I saying that? It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Everybody needs an encounter with the goodness of God. Anybody in here had an encounter with the goodness of God? Maybe it's been through healing. Maybe it's been through provision. Maybe it's been through something. Right there, whenever God shows up in that moment, you have a choice to rearrange the way you think. Not just for that one little thing, but for all of life. Yeah. I just think if we have the goodness of God established in our theology, listen, if it's really established in our theology, it will set the boundaries of what we will entertain and what we will reject. In other words, if the goodness of God is established in my thinking, then I can read this word right here and I know how things get contained and where to put them because I know where the goodness of God is. Read Leviticus and try to find where God is good. Seriously. Anybody ever read Leviticus just for fun? <laughs> yeah, try it. 
I'm serious. I'm serious, guys. Sit down and read the book of Leviticus. It's a bloody, gory book. But if you really read it with the goodness of God established firmly in your theology, all you're going to see is the coming Jesus. That's all you're going to see. Hello? Let me keep it real here for a moment, all right? We all have read enough of the Old Testament to recognize where it says things like, God smote them, (laughs) right? (laughs) Oh, mighty smiter. God smote them. He opened up the earth and 30,000 people got swallowed. All right, we've read things like that, right? Doesn't that challenge the goodness of God just a little bit in your thinking? God's good? Well, he just killed people. What about the day the law was given? Moses up on the mountain, law gets given. They're up there having a grand old time, Moses and God. And then God says, get down there, those people. They're messed up. Get down there only to find they had made a calf, and they're all dancing around in their underwear having orgies. They were. Drinking it up, whooping it up. And what does God say? All right, all you, all you bros hanging around here, put your sword on, go around into your family and start killing people. 3,000 people died that day. Died the day the law was given. God, you're good. Come on, don't you ask these questions? God, you're good. We have to understand that what God wanted to give, that even the law itself, what God wanted to give in the covenant with Moses right there was not what he, what God gave was not what he wanted to give. Exodus 18 tells us something. It tells us God wanted to take all of the people of Israel and make them priests, every one of them. And they all said, no, no, we don't want that kind of relationship with you. We want somebody to be a mediator. Moses, talk to Moses and then let him come to us. So God says, okay, you don't want that covenant? All right, let's have a different covenant. Did you know the covenants, old covenants, were based on reciprocation? Meaning one person or two people when they came together, each one had a responsibility. That's the covenant we have. And we see God through that old covenant and think that he's a bad God when he's not a bad God. He's just simply honoring his word. If that's what you want, that's what you get. It's not what I want. That's never what I wanted with you. But I'm going to honor my word. If you're saying this is what you want with me, I'm going to honor my word. Okay, this is what you get. Just understand that it has ramifications to it. Isn't this interesting? Have you ever thought like this, about this? All of these things, these covenants, they have, they have ramifications to them. And there was multiple covenants throughout the old covenant. Multiple covenants. And if we look at all of them, we finally start to discern. It was started with a, a husband and wife, <laughs> and it ends in Revelation with a husband and wife. <laughs> All of them, prototypes. All of them, pictures. Hebrew says in chapters 8, 9, and 10, it says over and over again, it calls things concerning the old covenant, it calls them shadows, types, and copies. Over and over again. Shadows, types, and copies. All those things were old. They were all pictures. Even when people chose poorly, God in his manifold wisdom chose to show through that covenant that he was ultimately leading to the person of Jesus and leading to salvation for all of us. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, some of you don't even even think you're saved yet. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you are. There's certain things in Scripture that we have to adjust ourselves to. Jesus is coming back, right? 
He's coming back. That's settled. We know that. It's in Scripture. He's coming back. We have to settle that. There are certain other things, though, that he says, it is not my desire. I'm not willing that anyone should perish, right? He's not willing that anyone should perish. But again, what is that saying? That's saying that somehow he's connected it with us so that we can be people who bring his goodness into the earth. Is this making sense? He's chosen you and I to partner with him. And I know this offends people sometimes, but I like offending people. He's brought you, so, you and I so much into the Trinity that if we were any more a part of the Trinity, we'd be a threat. That's how close he's brought us in. He hasn't brought us in and set us to the side and said, oh, well, you know, you over there, okay, fine. How many, have you ever had feelings about yourself like that? I'm going to... I mean, seriously, how many of us think about ourselves that way? We think about ourselves as kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of in, but I'm over here. Uh, somebody else will do the work of kingdom stuff, right? Wow. I just get to be somewhere close to it when it happens. Yeah. God is so good, listen, that he's even in the middle of you and I with all of our junk, all of our crap, all of our stuff, all of our even our unbelief that he's chosen to bring us into it with him so that we can be the manifestation of his goodness in the earth today. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I need a deeper revelation of Jesus. I do, I, I do, over and over. That's why I get, if you get around me and we start talking theology, I'm telling you, it's gonna be Jesus. It's gonna be Jesus. It doesn't mean I understand everything. It just means it's going to be Jesus. Everybody say Jesus, Jesus. is king it's going to be all about jesus you can talk to me about whatever you want to talk to me about and i'll entertain it with you there's all kinds of charismatic books out there that talk about heaven and hell and going over here and doing courtroom stuff and then there's other stuff about doing this over here great fine perfect i'm jesus i'm sticking with jesus is this making sense I'm sticking with Jesus. I need a de- Why? Because I need a deeper revelation of him. And the minute I start drifting off into something that may be even in the Bible, but it's not bringing me back to the revelation of him, I know that I'm missing it. Many people's approach to their concept of God actually states they don't need a revelation of God through Jesus because it's formed out of something that happened before he came. Many people's approach to their concept of God actually states that they don't need a revelation of God through Jesus because it's formed out of something that happened before Jesus came. Listen, church, we're a charismatic Pentecostal wacko group of people here. We're crazy. There are still people in the church that build their concept of prophecy and prophets off of Old Covenant. How many in here can prophesy? Every hand, put it in the air right now. <laughs> Every hand, put it in the air. But I'm not a prophet. Oh, well, it's up to God. We can, you know, there's still prophets. I believe that. We still have prophets, but everybody in this room can prophesy. Did you know of all the gift mixes that are listed in Scripture? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. Did you know there's only one of them that is consistent in all those gift mixes? You know what it is? Prophecy. We still have people that build theologies off of Old Covenant. I know people that still believe if somebody prophesies and they get the word wrong that they should be killed. False prophet, false prophet. 
And so no, what happens is, again, now fear is your ruler, not love. And so you don't prophesy because you don't want to be wrong. Not looking at the comprehensiveness of Scripture and looking in Acts where Paul actually got it wrong. He did. Paul got it wrong. Don't you remember? We're going to get on this ship. I have a word for everyone. Everybody on the ship's going to die. An angel comes along a little later and corrects him and said, no, nobody's going to lose their life. The ship is going to be lost, but nobody's going to lose their life. Was he wrong? He was wrong. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want to build my theology, my concepts of God, off of old covenant realities and then end up saying, God, I don't need a revelation of Jesus because I got it in the old covenant. I need the new covenant reality of who Jesus is. It says of Jesus, here's a good one, he didn't come to destroy life but to give it, John 10.10. Oh, so God doesn't destroy. Right? So, but he did in the old covenant. Yeah, it's because he had to. That's the kind of deal people made with him. They made that deal. And he's true to his word. He will always, always, always honor his word. Always. Disciples wanted to call down fire on Elijah. Remember that? Let's call down fire. Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You got murder all over you right now, kid. That ain't gonna work. That's not who I am. But Elijah did it. Hmm. Yeah, let's get a deeper understanding of God's goodness. John chapter 9, remember when the blind man was brought to Jesus? All right, Jesus, here's this blind dude. All right, who was it? Who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? What were they doing? Absence of the goodness of God. They were building theologies on old covenant realities. Well, they kind of had to because they were still kind of in the old covenant at that point, but they were going with what they know. But Jesus, we have the story, so now we have deeper understanding of it, right? Who sinned, this man or his parents? And he said, well, neither one. This is for the glory of God right? Come on, that's good, right? He's trying to say to us, this is the glory of God, the goodness of God. It's wanting to be revealed. (laughs) How many times do we look for what's wrong instead of what God is doing? What is wrong instead of what what God is doing? How many times did you see the Pharisees coming, giving him a hard time? Oh, your disciples, they don't wash their hands before they eat in in keeping with the tradition of the elders. I love Jesus. He says, yeah, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Forget your tradition of the elders. You transgress the commandment of God. You wash the outside of the bowl, but the inside's filthy. You whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. Come on, don't you you just want to be there when Jesus says that? I was just like, oh, man, I want to see that. We're renting that Blu-ray when we get there. That's going to be a good one. Come on, show me that one right there. Show me the dead man's tomb thing. I want to see that one right there. What is that one? You strain out, you strain out a gnat, you swallow a camel. All the little bitty things, you guys don't even get it. Here I am on the scene. Remember John 6, he shows up on the scene and he says to him, you search the scriptures for in them you think they have eternal life, but these are the things that testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Why? Because I'm off the grid. I'm outside your norm. I'm way outside the box of what you think holy, righteous, normal is. You think God is a God who wants to kill people. You crazy Pharisees, Sadducees. You think God wants to kill people. He's never wanted to kill people. I've come on the scene. This is Jesus talking now, not me. (laughs) I've come on the scene only to reveal the Father. And all I do is what he tells me to do. And you still don't see it. The scriptures testify of me everywhere. They testify of me and I come on the scene and you don't see it. Listen, church, unless you haven't seen it either, and I haven't seen it. We're all coming into this understanding of the goodness of God. 
But just recognize, Paul didn't get it either. Paul didn't get it either at first. You remember when Stephen was being stoned? Paul was standing there being the jacket caddy. Let me hold your coat. Go ahead, kill him. He was. He was holding the jackets of them, holding their coats while they sit there and stone Stephen. That's Paul, where we have the bulk of the New Testament. I'm just saying it's pretty easy to miss the goodness of God because we look for what's wrong instead of what's good. Yeah. It says in 1 John 3, 8 that he came to destroy the works of the evil one. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? He made a public spectacle of the demonic realm, Colossians 2, 15. Hebrews 1, 3, he is the express image of the Father. What am I saying here? I'm saying that if we're not careful, we'll still eat off of yesterday's manna. And you guys know what happens with yesterday's manna, right? It's full of worms, right? That's yesterday's manna. Let's feed on what Jesus is doing. Anytime in the Old Testament you see something going wrong and it looks like God is causing it, what he's really doing right there is he's revealing the question. Well, what do we do? Well, what do we do? Jesus comes on the scene and he reveals the answer. Anytime you see anything in the Old Covenant that looks like it's God killing people and destroying people, what is he doing? He's provoking people to ask questions. Did you know Jesus did the same thing when he showed up on the scene? All he wanted to do was to provoke people. Hello? He wanted to provoke people. He came on the scene and started preaching law amped up. Total law amped up. Well, brother, you don't understand. We've got to live by the words of Jesus. Well, we do. How come you're not cutting your hands off or gouging your eyes out? Hello? How come we don't have a higher divorce rate? Because if you just thought it in your mind, you've committed adultery. Hello? What is he doing? He's frustrating mankind to bring them to the end of themselves to finally realize that God is ultimately good and he only has had good intentions at his heart from the very beginning. It's not a performance thing where you try to do, stump, do something in order to get in good graces with him. Come on, we still deal with, deal with this in the church. We can all say in here, I'm saved by grace, but none of us really believes it. If you, if you look at your life, if I look at my life, do I find myself performing to try to get in God's good graces? It'll never happen. I do, though. I try it. I need to pray more. You know what? I need to, I need to read my Bible more. Are those things good? Absolutely. Those things are good, but if you're doing that in order to gain something, you're missing the whole point. When I read my Bible, I read it to study, but I don't read it only to study. I read it to hear. I want it to talk to me. And when I get to really troublesome passages that I don't even understand, what I do is I start to memorize it. Not so I get a better understanding, because it's something that as I memorize and I mull over in my mind, I'm letting Holy Spirit come in and bring revelation on what he's really talking about. Hello? Because I don't read it to learn, I read it to hear. I told you to turn to Psalms, didn't I? We're finally there. (laughs) Psalm 67. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. The title, the heading in my Bible here, I don't know if yours has it, says an invocation, a doxology. It starts off and it says this, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. 
man. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. I'm going to have to run through this quick, guys. You know it's legal for you to pray to get, for God to bless you? It's not only just legal, as in some kind of its neutral territory. It really is more in the, if you really want to be a disciple and really represent him well, you need to pray and ask God to bless you. You really do. God, bless me. Bless my socks off. Bless my socks on. <laughs> Whatever it is. Bless me. I want you to bless me. Why? Because if we are not blessed, people listen. If we don't walk around as blessed people, the world will not know who God is. If we don't walk around as blessed people, the world will not know who God is. How many times do you have, hear about things happening, tragedies happen, and immediately the world runs to, if God's real, how could you let those things happen? When we should be the people standing right there going, let me show you why. This is who he is. You're getting deceived right here, bro. You think God causes bad things to happen? Don't you know First John tells us that the whole world is under the sway, it's under the influence of the evil one? How about we start giving Satan credit for the things he's doing and giving God credit for the things he's doing? Stop giving God credit for things he's not doing. How can he let tornadoes and earthquakes and those things happen and so many people die? He didn't do it. We live in this fallen world. We've got to understand that what we need is a group of people who are so blessed, who walk in that wonderful glorious blessing that when they walk on the scene people go oh there's a god there's a god i don't know what it looks like i'm not just talking about money that may be part of it i'm talking about blessings where you have wisdom insight discernment where people look to you and go i need answers come on man you are so good help me with this that kind of blessing yeah understand this though sometimes blessing can come with its downfall would you say that of Mary, mother of Jesus, she was blessed? Yes. Yeah, blessed art thou among women, right? Yes. She was blessed, but that kind of blessing brought some challenge. Yes. Ooh, pregnant? <laughs> yeah, sure. Son of God. Conceived the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. Do you think she ran into those kinds of things? Blessing may not always look like you're all like, woohoo, you got everything and it got it in order. It just means that the presence of God is so much on you that you have answers. You even carry salvation with you. You got Holy Spirit inside of you. But it may not look very good in the natural at times. Anybody still want to be blessed? I believe he will bless us to the degree that we will take that blessing and empower others with it. So if I'm not in getting, getting blessed, I have to ask the question, what am I not giving away? If I'm not getting blessed, I don't, have to sit, I don't want to sit there and say, God, why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you blessing me? If I'm not getting blessed, I have to ask the question, seriously, church, what am I not giving away here? Who am I not empowering? Who am I not drawing out the God gold in? What am I, not, what am I missing here? Because it's not God holding back. He doesn't sit up in heaven and go, <laughs> watch this, I'm going to make a bag. <laughs> Come on, that's a misconception, right? Do you think that? The whole hiding God, God hides from you? I don't think God does that. That'd be so mean, wouldn't it? If I did that to my daughter, to my son when they came in the house, I'm going to hide in the closet. <laughs> I'm going to hide in the closet. And they're going to call out, Dad, Dad, where are you, Dad? 
and I'm going to sit there and be like, this is going to do them a lot of good. They need me right now, but I'm going to hide. This is really going to do them a lot of good. It's really going to help them in their life. Yeah, yeah, I did. I walked into a staff meeting late on Tuesday, and they did that to me. See how much they love me? Hello? Are you here? Who is it? Can't find anybody. I think I'm in the wrong house. Start to check my calendar. What's going on? Who, you know, it's just they're, they just love me, playing tricks on me, that's all. Jesus comes to reveal the Father, right? Let's follow the timeline. Jesus comes to reveal the Father. We get a glimpse of the Father through Jesus, and then Jesus says, now that you got this, tag, you're it. Now you tell everybody about the Father. Just remember he's good. Don't tell anybody he's bad. Just tell him he's good, because that's all he is. He's good. I'm just saying we have an enormous role in how redemption works in this planet. We do. I'm not trying to make you feel heavy or guilty. We just have an enormous role of how redemption works in this planet. Second verse, Psalm 67. That your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? That your way may be known on the earth. Your way, your way. Your way, we talked about this last week. We've talked about it before. Israel knew his acts. Moses knew his ways. Moses caught the heart and the very character of God, the nature of God, because his goodness passed before him. I think that's why he saw the goodness. Everybody else just sees acts. Oh, miracle, somebody got healed. That's great, that's wonderful. But beyond that, are people understanding God through that? Are they really understanding God through it? Yeah. You know what would be wonderful? Is if, for me as a pastor, I could share not only my personal testimonies, but wherever I go, I could share your testimonies too. Do I have permission to do that? If I hear your testimonies, that means I need to hear them. I want to hear them. That way I can share them wherever I go. And you can take mine and you can share them wherever you go. You know what? Let me tell you what happened. I know somebody. And if he did that with them, that means he'll do it again. Because this is what he does. Because he doesn't withhold. He says the, the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. The without repentance is literally what it means. He'll never change his mind. He'll never change his mind. Is this helpful? Without you and I carrying the blessing and the favor of God on us, the world's not going to see his ways. I want him to see his ways. I do. I want him to see his ways. Guys, here's what I'm asking for me today. Try to connect this with not just, I'm going to try this, apply this in my life. Try to connect this with every part of what's going on in your life with every relationship you're in, do I see goodness or am I seeing bad? Do I only find what's wrong in the relationship or can I find where's the good? Where's the, can I hold on to that? What is the good thing that God has done in this relationship? Take it to your work. What is the good thing God has done with this job that I have? Is this helpful? Yeah. Giving you practicals. With your friends, with your family, wherever you go, look for the good. Look for the good. In Deuteronomy, um, Moses just before he dies, he's laying out all the curses and all the blessings of God. And he says at the end, he says, see, I lay before you blessing and cursing, life and death. And you know what he says? He didn't say choose blessing. He says choose life. Choose life. It's in that, finding where God is good, finding where the life is in absolutely everything. Number one, it'll cause you to give thanks because it repositions your thinking, but it'll also let you see where good is and let you see what God is doing, and you can hold on to it and say, this is what God does that's good. Everybody stand up with me here. 
<laughs> How many need breakthrough? We were praying for it, singing about it this morning. How many need breakthrough? We're going to pray for you right now. If you need breakthrough, hold your hand up. Did you know breakthrough is found in looking at the goodness of God? It really is. Because if you look at the goodness of God, all of a sudden the breakthrough that you need starts coming into alignment. And you say, ah, oh, that's the path. That's the way I get there. I hold on to that. God is good. God is good. Yeah, hold your hands up with me a second here. Yes, God. Lord, we don't understand all of it. I know we don't. But Lord, whatever I have attained, Lord, even as Paul spoke, to the degree that I have attained, let me walk by the same rule. Let me be of the same mind. Lord, I want to know what your goodness is. I want to know what your goodness looks like even more and more and more. So Lord, what I do is not slip into a place of passivity and say, God, do something. I'm saying, God, I, I can look at it. I can look at where you've been good to me and I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to keep looking at that right there. And I'm going to let that reposition my thinking. I, I believe it starts right here in this moment. I feel it. I can feel it right now. It's like prophetic precision right now. I feel it in the moment our perceptions of God that are skewed because of our families. Right now, I feel this right now. It's skewed. All of us in here, we've got something skewed on our perception of God based on our family that we grew up in. It doesn't mean our families are evil. Lord, I'm asking right now that you begin to show us what it looks like to have a loving dad. Have a loving, present, engaged dad. Yeah. Holy Spirit, just do that right now. Shift, shift hearts, shift thinking. Lord, break through into that understanding. I saw a picture. Some of you maybe need to do this. You just take, it's like God deposited something, a revelation of his goodness into your hands right now. Pull it close and stick it into your heart. You're going to feel it more than you understand it, but be okay with that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, our desire is to represent you accurately and to represent you well. And we know that it's effortless. We know that it's filled with joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All glory and honor and praise be to you the king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. You understand this. I don't get it all, but you're good. Just say he's good. Say, God, you're good. You're my God, and you're a good God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, Lord bless you all. Pray peace and blessings and blessings and blessings over you all so that you represent him accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.